Welcome to another episode of Sodeshi with Deshi with your host Sudanshu Kaushik. This week, my guest is Tanvi Nagbal, who uh, is an urbanist uh, residing in Delhi. Uh, Tanvi, it's wonderful to have you. It's wonderful being here. Uh, just really quickly, um, for the guest and for myself, um, just a brief introduction about you know where you're from, what are you doing here, and uh, your bit about background. Okay. Born and raised in New Delhi, studied in Texas at Rice, and then worked there with the planning commission for. Uh, for some time before coming back here. Now here I work with government bodies in the municipalities to figure out how to make places nicer, more interactive, <laughs> more activated and more interesting for the youth of India and just to bring them out more in the public domain. So one of the key starting points for my career in this field was maybe back in 2017 when I was in Bhopal and we wrote India's first placemaking guidelines. And placemaking. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll define placemaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, placemaking basically means taking over a space and converting it into something that's engaging and, and exciting and community driven and activating a public space, basically. So, instead of having these perfectly manicured parks that are not used by people, really going there and understanding and observing what people are passionate about, what do they expect from their spaces, what do they need, and creating those changes in very organic, low cost fashion. So this kind of uh, way of designing was a big hit in India, even though it comes from Copenhagen and it comes from a lot of very westernized cities otherwise. It's been a big hit in India because I think there are so many older cities that we are redoing. We don't have greenfield projects. We're taking over very old existing lots of buildings, streets, roads that need to be revitalized. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it can be done in small parts has been a big hit. It involves a lot of communities, so we try to bring in you know, school students when we are doing, say, a park next to a government school. We try to bring in like RWAs to voice their opinions on what they want, and that component is very critical to us. We believe that democracy is a muscle. It's not something that you just exercise once in five years and you feel connected to your government. We feel spaces are the most obvious manifestation of a government and democracy and, and what they're trying to accomplish. But how do you, sorry, how do you navigate the distinction between spaces through a public and private? You know, you're talking in the same sentence of RWAs while you're talking about public places as well um, and, you know, exercising that muscle of the government. Um, just to clarity to on clarify that. clarify that, we are only operating on municipality land. We mm -hmm. are not operating a on, private. none of our projects have been on private places mm -hmm. yet because I think the culture of private companies developing public spaces is not fully materialized in India with an exception of few places that you see in Delhi and Mumbai and more advanced cities. What are some examples? Uh, Delhi, like the cyber hub area. Okay, so that would... It's privately owned and mm -hmm. it has a lot of restaurants around for people who don't know. Yeah. It's an area in Gurgaon that was developed to cater to the MNCs. So mm -hmm. they've created basically a courtyard of a lot of restaurants, cafes, and they activate it quite regularly with little vendors and activities and music and all of those things that's a privately managed public space so to mm -hmm. say what we are addressing are largely parks lakes street sides so any area and that is ignored or has a perception of being unsafe mm -hmm. in placemaking what's interesting that i've learned over the years that safety has nothing to do with the actual criminal statistics of a place it's so much more about the perception mm -hmm. simply adding street lights in an area completely changes how it's used mm -hmm. so it's really channeling and harnessing these very simple intuitive things about spaces and bringing them to the knowledge of municipalities and working with different stakeholders in the process mm -hmm. 
So we don't operate as a design company. We don't go in and do the project ourselves, but mm-hmm. we actually operate as consultants. Where we're able to take on multiple projects at one time, mm-hmm. and we're able to assist the local contractors, architects, governments on best practices how to go forward. For example, something you would notice when you're driving around Delhi are very ugly benches that are placed right next to the road, which I nobody ever be. sits on them. <laughs> no, the new ones, yes, maybe, but <laughs> a lot of the older ones that we've inherited, yeah. the spaces. It's it's probably They're in the middle of nowhere, basically. Like in the middle right, of yeah, nowhere, yeah. there is no thought process given on, you know, shade. Like where would someone like to sit, and how would people gather there? Mm-hmm. And the lesser people they are on a street or in an area, the more we lose out on a sense of safety. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like it kind of is a cycle and a domino effect that continues. So right. it's very important for people to keep engaging with the public spaces for them to be maintained also. Mm-hmm. So the lesser people that go to a place, the lesser maintenance it will see over time, and lesser priority it will get from a municipality, and eventually it will become um, ignored, which has happened to a lot of beautiful parks in Bhopal, Raipur, and these cities. That's interesting to me. Um, that's, it seems kind of illogical because the more uh, that I've experienced, the more people frequent a place, the dirtier it will get, the more pollution there will be, uh, littering, etc. Um, and the, the, the upkeep of the place, especially not just in cities but also rural areas. Uh, I'm from rural Haryana and I've seen you know, their tourist, or not touristy, I would say religious spots like Kurukshetra is famous for, um, um, you know, the Mahabharata, etc. The temples have, which are, you know, frequently visited. Our public land, um, on the, run by the government, uh, are just in shambles. Um, I agree. So sorry. So I'm just thinking in that sense. So it's a combination of two things, right? So if you don't visit a place enough, mm-hmm. it all automatically becomes more empty, and lesser people will ultimately frequent that place. So, so it may stay clean for X amount of time, but over time it will have no priority for the municipality to maintain because nobody cares about that particular it. space. Mm-hmm. And the point of public spaces is you want the public to be there there. you want them to be using those spaces and of course I think the issues with that are not just on the municipality end but they're also user behavior issues Mm -hmm. in terms of being very intuitive about where you're placing trash cans so this is something um, this is an exercise that we've actually done we've gone and just sat at a park for eight days at different times of the day with a little drawing of the space and just circled in areas where we were seeing trash being collected more uh, or people throwing things at those areas and of course those areas did not have trash cans and the trash cans were placed in the other areas because where they were throwing off the food is right next to where a food cart is or right next to maybe you know a place where they sit down for a picnic so if you just place the trash can in the right location and the kind of trash cans um, I just came back from Badrinath which is a very famous religious spot now the problem with the trash cans there was they were closed lid trash cans so if you have to throw anything, you have to pick up the lid and then throw something in there. Which creates a big issue because nobody wants to get their hands dirty. So things have to be very easy to use and people respond to that. Mm-hmm. So the idea is to really have a grassroots oriented urban development. It's really not that complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone can do it till the time you're able to sit at a, sit at a place and observe, fully understand the issue qualitatively and quantitatively. Understand what the demographics of the neighborhood are, understand what the institutions around you are, who are your stakeholders. The more you get people to invest in their own spaces, the more they will maintain it. 
So one of the big issues we had with one of the parks was public urination. And they would just ruin whatever new development they would do because people were literally urinating at, you know, like new swings and like new areas, benches. It was just disgusting condition. Nobody wanted to go there. But as soon as we tied up with the school next door, the kids were painting the walls. So they felt so attached and they felt like it's something that they've accomplished. So we saw a big drop in vandalism. There was increasing safety because more people were there and hence the perception of safety was larger. So in turn, we saw more users. Uh, in fact, now there are yoga classes in the same area that you know two years ago used to be considered extremely unsafe and dark and dingy and something to avoid if you're in the city. Were you able to create uh, sustainable income or generate income within these areas as well by any chance? So that's something that... Uh, was New York has done that. New York City parks, yes. the neighborhood parks where they also invest. Yeah. Yes. So that's probably step two. Okay. It's very hard to convince municipalities to put businesses in public areas because they always feel that the commercials of it somehow meddle with you know, the, the income of the municipality and they feel like how do we how do we it becomes a bit controversial like how do you onboard vendors which vendors get in mm. um, so a kind of version of that has been done in organizing food carts so the municipalities in a lot of areas maybe even in Delhi you've seen that they have standardized a food cart and then mm. they do like a lucky draw system for mm. all the vendors that enter the lucky draw mm. and whoever wins gets that standardized food cart and that is especially useful when they're trying to activate a public park, for example, because nobody will go to a park unless they can grab something to eat in India. Now, just for clarification, when you're talking about a food cart, you're talking about the Radiwala? Yes, okay, the Radiwala, yeah. So yeah. just for the viewers, um, you know, the food cart isn't the halal truck that you see in the <laughs> cities of, of, of streets of New York. Um, they're, you know, much more basic. Absolutely, very um, simple. Very simple, and then also they're kind of diverse. You can get very from diverse. fruits to vegetables to chaats to noodles, uh, momos, whatever. <laughs> Lots of yummy yeah. food. So, um, so yeah, so okay, so they're not as... And also one thing is, is that uh, the what you were talking about, um, there's a system for, let's say, New York and other cities in the States of these food carts. You can only have, like, you have rent space of sidewalks. Whereas here, it... What you're saying is there's a there's a push for it, but it's not necessarily as organized because you can go just about anywhere. Yes. And you'll have like a radio ala, It's a lot informalized right now, and that is getting more formalized in the process, and it is generating income. Hmm. And initially, the food cart vendors had no attraction towards getting the standardized boxy-looking yeah. government cart. That's stationary, like, or does it move? It moves as well, but okay. for that. For um, it's stationary at the back, like a lot of their movable tables mm. for transportation. But do you have the same space? Yes, okay. the same window shop is kind of operated. Uh, sorry, clarification. The same place where, it, like, so you know how like halal carts have a certain designated area that they can't move from. That yes. that is where they yes. sell. Is that the same way? Yes. So there's a designated okay. vendor area, and sorry for the lack of clarity. On no, that. no, no, no. It's Everyone yeah. must be. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you just assume, I guess. That's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I totally know what you're talking yeah. about. Okay, um, so, yeah, the designated areas are assigned to each vendor per year or per two years. I'm not fully aware of how that works. But what that does is it's very useful for the municipalities if they're taking over a new park because they mm. want to activate it. Because initially, you have to develop user habit, essentially, when you start a new public space. For example, in Delhi, you would go to a Lodi garden because you're mentally accustomed to going to a Lodi garden. Mm. To go to a different place, you have to have a reason. 
to build those reasons to kind of create the you know trail crumb that the crumb trail that we call it to um get people to use a space you create different incentives so you have events you have classes you offer walks there you you do these events to get people comfortable with visiting that space and then soon they start visiting that space mm-hmm. on their own so one of the critical components of that has become food carts for governments and the standardization has helped a lot mm-hmm. and they are earning more money because they are in a cleaner space they are able to take care of their waste a lot more efficiently the municipality is able to kind of collect the waste in one area and be able to teach them the right practices on disposing their waste so you see them you see these carts to be a lot more cleaner and neater than say you know a regular rady wala that you see in a random location so that part of income generation has started i think the next step would be that if you're making a park there should be a little you know kinara store situation or there should mm. be some space for someone to start a local business or mm. start someone you know like so subsidized by the government into yeah. the space yeah yeah um that's interesting and uh, that is important because that's yeah. important to again you're creating income for that space so that long term it can maintain itself right that is something that we like i remember doing that in all my projects when i was in in texas when i was in denmark both the places that's a very obvious component of a public space design mm-hmm. is to create the business component of it mm-hmm. here it gets a bit more complicated with the advertising rights and with the municipalities income yeah. sources so that's something that they have to figure out right. going forward but it's you know I, i think it's it really interesting because an example that i have that was working on this is um again i'm from kurukshetra so there's this uh, very religious like significant spot but i'm sort of over right so it's just this big lake um and um people visit it um you know when religiously when either someone has died in their family or when they need to quote unquote wash away their sins and and things of that nature um and again very you know often visited by people all over india um and what they tried to do the local administration was because in the entrances and there are a variety of entrances uh the rickshaw walas the radio walas they're selling you know uh, religious memorabilia they're selling prashad they're selling uh, you name it everything is there right um and what started happening was not only were you clogging up the entrances to this huge and vast um um sort over um what what was also taking place is you know the places were getting dirty there was um a bit more crime pickpocketing etc so the government steps in the administration and builds them builds these people um and for free uh, around 100 120 little shot areas in mits not in the entrance because they wanted to clear you know mm-hmm. pathway for it um to clear them and they gave them for free and be like you can designate and have your shots um for about 6 months it worked and then and you could see it crumbling and at the end of the day people either literally sold the little boxes that had been built for them mm-hmm. and then started going back to their very basic shawala and going towards the entrance because people just would not and their excuse was things don't sell in that area mm-hmm. you know you have to be in the middle mm-hmm. and then the enforcement as well um the administration couldn't really enforce it as much because these people were you know voters etc whatever um so it was tried there but it miserably failed i mean less than 6 months and everyone was back in the entrances packed again and um i wonder like you know how maybe delhi might be 
um, a different example of how it can be applied and, and actually be successful. But it's just there's so many variables that restrain you from actually taking that place, and one of them being politics and just voting, right, mm-hmm. and voters, because that is a vote bank. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, how long can you, you know, succumb to that pressure? Mm-hmm. And who succumbs to that pressure mm-hmm. uh, is super interesting. Um, sorry about that. I thought that, that, no, that was really so interesting. interesting. Yeah. That's a really interesting example because um, that's very unique about India is like mosques, temples, any places of worship in India, literally their own mini ecosystems mm. and their own economic systems in a way. Yeah. And you see this whole um, little community, very self-sufficient community almost working mm. around it. And they are entirely gaining their living based on the tourist activity and the pilgrimage activity mm-hmm. that they're getting and it's very important to sustain that as well completely doing away with it is of course not the solution but what you've described is something we see in affordable housing very often around mm-hmm. the world you will build people who are living in slums you will build them very nice apartments mm-hmm. but they're simply not used to living in vertically mm-hmm. so it is such a mismatch of user habit and solution mm-hmm. that they end up very similarly they end up selling their units and they mm. actually end up coming back to their original right. spot and it's very hard to clear that out over time solution to that is a lot more complicated i think it requires a lot more um organic thought process of understanding that what they need and how are we able to accommodate those needs especially if you if you imagine someone who's grown up living you know in a very rural setting and you suddenly put them in a building and they're mm-hmm. on a 10th floor, they feel very alienated, they feel very disoriented, irrespective of all the facilities that they're getting, like you know, electricity, yeah. water, supply, everything is so smooth. Yet they want to go back to a place where you mm-hmm. might, de- you know, the government and people might determine it as more dirty or more mm-hmm. uh, underserved, but for them it's more comfortable because that's how they've grown up. Mm-hmm. So understanding the mid-path between quote-unquote solution and also on an accommodation of the existing habits and conditions is very critical. So in that case, I would say that for them, it's important to do more business. And for them, it's important, you know, for the people who are visiting to be closer to them. And how are you able to accomplish maybe, you know, with the different flow of the pilgrims, wherein they're around the shops for a longer time, mm-hmm. or they're able to have more face time with the shops without interfering with the entrance. All those things have to be thought out and it cannot be a singular solution. It cannot just be viewed from the site of, um, you can't view it as a plan. You can't view it that, okay, I pick it up and I put it here and it's going to work because I've just moved the location. Mm -hmm. You have to work with the tourists, you have to work with the shrine boards, you have to work with the stakeholders, you have to truly understand how the flow works and how Mm -hmm. you're able to manipulate it better for the vendors to make more money as well as for the entrance to not get too clogged does that make sense yeah, 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 and yeah. it will be very specific for every site so mm-hmm. it cannot be one solution for all temples that do this and it's going to be better mm-hmm. but i do agree i think there is a very big issue with user habits that's mm-hmm. something that i observed a lot during my trip as well that we consider it very holy to kind of just throw away a bunch of flowers plastic mm-hmm. you know like like long fabrics right. into the water yeah and it creates such long-term issues. Yeah. And it's a great example for a circular economy, though, because you you know, like in the Ganga, you'll throw a long uh, fabric in there, and there'll be someone like, fishing it out and yeah. selling it up. Yeah. It's a great example of a circular economy. But I mean, these things have to be addressed, and especially under 
the BJP government, mm-hmm. I actually hoped to see more of a push towards cleanliness at temples. Mm-hmm. Because I think if you're able to accomplish that, that would have a really positive impact on just overall user behavior in public spaces. Right. Now, this government, I mean, arguably, and you could dispute it or you could favor it, has given a lot of, I would say, uh, programs to help with, it. I would say, like the not just the environment, but like your spaces around you, whether mm-hmm. it's Swachh Bharat, whether it's, um, you know, these different like schemes, especially in the lower strata of improving um, not just their standard of living, but their surroundings mm-hmm. as well. Um, one example that applies to all of us that, I, that I've known is... Um, uh, after 2014, after the Swatch Bharat uh, came in, there was a uh, circular that went around that um, made all patrol pumps um, all over uh, India, whoever applied through the government, because patrol pumps, you have to take the space out, um, had to prescribe by standard rules. And one of them now was is that they couldn't lock the bathrooms mm-hmm. that they uh, used, and they had to be accessible by public. Mm-hmm. And what you see is, um, so I frequently take the Chandigarh Delhi route, mm-hmm. right? And literally, pre-2014, uh, I would say there was one place that I could stop to use the restroom, which was Haveli, and that's how Haveli, if you've heard, mm-hmm. got famous because of their very cleansy, um, you know, sparkling, beautiful <laughs> toilets. Um, um, but now what's happened is after 2014 is all of the patrol pumps now are mandated to clean. And I mean, it's crazy because they have a log sheet of timings of hourly cleaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and they risk losing their license. So that's, you know, that's a very innovative way yeah. trying to do that. And now as, you know, someone, as someone like me can visit any patrol pump and actually use the mm-hmm. restroom without being disgusted. Mm-hmm. Um, and beforehand, I just couldn't. Like, mm-hmm. um, and, and that, I think, is an, an interesting way. Yeah. And this is also a good example for a solution that benefits everyone. So in Raipur, they had a big movement and a big push to get the public restaurants and hotels to open up their bathrooms to the public. Mm-hmm. And initially, they were like, no, like people are going to come in they're going to make it more dirty for us we'll have higher maintenance costs it's not worth it mm-hmm. so when they held a drive and they actually gave a sticker which was a uh, more Raipur which is the logo for the smart Raipur mission mm-hmm. more means our Raipur in the mm-hmm. local Chhattisgarhi dialect um, and it basically meant to stamp a restaurant like public rest public restroom friendly mm-hmm. so they actually saw a movement of people there who would come to use the restroom mm-hmm. and would end up of course becoming customers for one thing or the other mm-hmm. so they they saw the benefit of inviting more people in mm-hmm. by doing something simple as just opening up their bathrooms so that kind of push has come it has been incredibly positive and swatch bharat in general has made people more aware of just being clean and you'd be surprised how much of a change that is for a basic Indian user mm-hmm. in terms of being socialized to your spaces and being able to feel connected to a public space. The reason you litter or you don't litter is how you perceive that space. The Delhi Metro to me is an incredible example of that. Mm-hmm. The same person who would be pos- maybe in India, ga- India Gate and he'll throw a bottle of water you know, empty plastic bottle right away he, mm. as soon as he's done. He won't look for a dustbin. He's not, he's mm. least bothered. But when he's in the metro, he's, he's really abiding by the rules. He's mm. being clean. He's holding up a certain standard of... Because it's the... Pri- yeah, it's socialized so, to yeah. the public space better. Mm. So those examples are there. And India Gate is so frustrating. It's so beautiful. Everyone is just like, oh my God, taking so much pride. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, they're spitting out their bond. They're spitting out their food, leftover food and everything. It's just a mess. I mean, every night I, I go to India quite often, more than I would like to admit. And 
every night it's a mess i don't know how they clean it if they clean it because after 10 10 11 everything is just a mess and ultimately we can't even blame municipalities because you know they have their limitations in terms of the amount of cleaning they can carry for carry out for each city it has to be a user behavior mm. problem we but have we would never want to take it. the blame on ourselves right that's of a course that's not. that's it's a thing not our we, fault. it's we, we scapegoat to the politicians <laughs> we scape to you know the administration it's totally but unfair never us. and misguided mm, yeah. i think it has so much to do with how we view public spaces and that is why it's very important that we design and we redesign and we develop and we interact with public spaces in a way that we feel a sense of ownership mm. that's very important as soon as that happens you see you see a very positive change in people's behavior right away and there's mm. so many examples of that like this uh, project in bhopal the students took over basically area under one of the big it's called the ram setu so it's like a little bridge mm-hmm. and it's it's there was a lot of space that was um, dirty because they had a lot of construction material there from the construction of that flyover mm-hmm. And in fact, it became a place where a lot of young people were doing drugs at night. Mm. And it's right in the heart of the city and it's a beautiful view of the lake. Yet it was being used for all of these, you know, quote unquote, very shady activities. Mm-hmm. So they just took over that place and they painted it. And in the, I think over the course of two weeks that they were painting it, they interacted with the people that would use it regularly, mm. including, you know, the quote unquote anti-society elements and, and the people that were doing drugs or the people that were selling things there. In fact, they got so inspired that these students are working at it day and night. They helped out in the entire process and they finished it before deadline. And now it's a very pretty little spot with some, you know, Indian paintings on the wall. There's these really nice benches there that you can look over the lake. And that entire area has now been used up and it's no longer underlit or or considered unsafe or it's not attracting any sort of... Um, anti-society like lack of yeah so okay so i'm going to backtrack a little bit because there was like a lot of things that you were saying and i have a lot of questions in my head um one of which is so when you began you know you were talking about how you consult and work with obviously different stakeholders one of which are is is representation government servants administration and representatives um you know, I have a series of questions relating to how has your experience been working, whether it's with the Ministry of Urban Development, you know, what's their perception? Are these, at the end of the day, um, to me and statistically, uh, the administration, whether it's the bureaucracy and the ministers in charge, are fairly, on average, older men than the average age of the population, they're men, again. Um, do they have the same mentality of in which department they're in, right? So people that are in what I've seen in different countries um, is, you know, if you're in, let's say, the urban minis- development ministry or if you're in, like, the housing industry or ministry, um, secretary of, like, state, whatever, all those stuff, people are passionate about what they're doing, right, because they chose that thing. Whereas here the way that the government works you'll take a you know a general standard test and then you'll be allocated for this ministry then this ministry that ministry on overall are the are these people that you've interacted with are they genuinely interested um in the work they're doing progressive change also um and then some of the hurdles that come in the way and you know i I hope that there are more than just the hurdles of let's say oh the politicians don't want it because it's so easy to scapegoat to the politicians um unfair fair you know that's up to everyone to decide but I mean, is so yeah. So just a little bit more about how is it working with the representation, the administration, or so. Um, something incredible about this government has been that they've managed this government to, or this, the Modi government since mm-hmm. 2014 is that they've really supercharged the IAS officers. 
So they've had a lot more exposure in terms of the kind of summits they're attending and the kind of interactions they're having with international bodies. Mm. The European Commission in India has paired up about 12 uh, tier two cities with 12 cities in Europe. Mm -hmm. So they're actually, you know, brokering like regular interactions with these cities. There's a lot more exposure to what is happening all around. And yes, I'm sure people have had bad experiences as well. And mm -hmm. I won't deny that there is a lot of uh, uh, resistance when it comes to new back. ideas. But in my opinion so far, especially in the smart city realm, the leaders are very young. Even if they are not fully aware of, uh, mm -hmm. say, urban development, they are very excited to try out new things. Mm -hmm. They are largely driven by community engagement in whatever form they mm. end up choosing options that are interacting with more people that are creating interfaces for the municipality to deal with the youth mm. may it be events may it be spaces for example uh, one of the cities hired a PR company for a very long time to just host events mm -hmm. so they were just doing one event every month just because they wanted to bring out the college students they wanted to interact with what was happening and they wanted to keep a they wanted to know what they wanted from the development of those cities. Because you have to understand that under the new government, the push has been on tier two and tier three cities largely, mm -hmm. more than the metropolitans, because mm -hmm. the future of urban India will come from those areas. It right. will not be Delhi, Bangalore, yeah. Mumbai. Mm -hmm. It will be, you know, Coimbatore, it's going to be Bhopal, Bhopal Kurukshetra, it's yeah. going to be all of these places that really come up. Right. And it's exciting because the youth in those cities can really harness their opinions in mm -hmm. defining what they want from their city. So things like MyGov and all of these platforms have brought the leaders quite in touch with what people want. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they have gone out there and educated themselves and become more aware of what needs to be done. Mr. Chandramali Shukla, who was the CEO of Bhopal and is now the commissioner of Jabalpur, has been one of the pioneer guys in, in, in India to lead cycling. Mm -hmm. He was, I think Bhopal was the first one to implement bike sharing and like dedicated cycle cycle tracks that were way better than most cities around the world even. They're nice, wide, proper cycle tracks. There was a lot of thought given to the shade, comfort, how the riders function. There were series of events done in order to encourage more cycling in the city. And you see that happening and you see the positive impact from that. So I think... Um, I have seen a lot of very positive leaders that are very excited about a new India and about exploring a lot of different options and a lot of different ways of dealing and interacting with the city and changing it for the better. I think uh, they've also chosen a lot more younger leaders, like the commissioners mm -hmm. are 28, 29, they're mm -hmm. no longer like... That's refreshing to hear. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. And they are at a position to really you know, define the future of a city. In a district. If you're a commissioner, a you can literally yeah, change anything. Absolutely. And, and you see that change. You see the quality of projects that are coming out now mm -hmm. from a lot of these places. And that has to be a result of good, sound leadership. Okay. So, you know, I just did some last ending questions. Um, one of which is we focused on the smart city. You, you know, you've thrown that out. And to me, smart city has become this rhetoric. Like, oh, we're going to do this smart city. Someone... I guess that has very limited knowledge, um, but has seen on papers and has lived and experienced those cities. What's so smart about them? What's the focus? Because I feel like it's a political rhetoric and until will be like, whatever. But even talking to the people in some of these areas, not all, um, very few, um, 
it's what you know not just what constitutes a smart city but has work really being done because you know i've heard things different what you're advocating and saying is is they're actually working on and and you know making a smart city and maybe that's just a generic term that's thrown out and there are different programs within that but just to kind of i guess either dispel that conception that i have built and a lot of other people have as well um, what would you say about that? So smart city in India means very different things than a smart city would mean, say, in Europe or, or right. the US. But the India smart city project. India smart city mm. is very different. But India smart city has been basically a program and a scheme to add better funding and equip these smaller cities to make more changes in a shorter amount of time. Mm-hmm. It has been a way to attract more attention and investment opportunities to these cities. May it be from basic infrastructure right up to traffic management, um, solid waste management, um, smart schools, education. All of these are programs within the smart city. Mm-hmm. So there is not really there's no right answer to what is the smart city because mm-hmm. it has been very different for different cities. For example, Ujjain is one of the largest number of temples in the country. Right. So a lot of their efforts are focused on you know making temples more efficient. Oh, okay. Versus say. Um, you know, a different city, like let's think of an example. For example, Raipur, mm-hmm. again, bringing up Raipur, ha- is really focused on trying to create an identity for itself. It's mm-hmm. been mostly in Im- like a mi- migrant city. So there yeah. a lot of, it comes right in the middle of Bombay and Calcutta. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes what you find is that people living in Raipur don't really have a sense of identity or identification with the city. Mm-hmm. And because Chhattisgarh is largely tribal as well. Yeah. So there's a big disconnect between the city that represents the state as a capital versus the rest of the the state. state. So they've tried to create a more organic identity for Raipur. They've worked very hard in the smart city efforts and the municipality's efforts to create a sense of ownership within the citizens Mm. in respect to the city. So smart city has very different meanings. There's not really, there's not true answer for what is a smart city. And I think even in terms of the work happening, it's very complicated because there are all very high capital projects that were undertaken in private-public partnership. So it is not just the government, quote-unquote, to be blamed. It's also the private sector. And it's kind of the government incentivizes with the right incentives, they attract the right partners, and then whether or not they're able to accomplish a project or not. So it's the first time I think it's been done at this scale anywhere in the world. Mm. Basically, you're bringing on the entire private sector and you basically told them that, hey, we need to redo our cities, help us out. And it's a very complex project, financially speaking as well. So that has been a large, uh, I think, reason behind the slow progress. I'm not going to deny the reports. They they are very clear on the fact that we are very behind on the projections and, and the projects that were undertaken. But I think just the symbolic nature of even attracting attention to these places, attracting, creating better investment opportunities, equipping the municipal heads right mm. from like, you know, the basic level engineers right up to the commissioners, collectors, for them to be so aware of what is happening and what needs to be done. That's also incredible. That we had not vis- witnessed before. So so what you're saying is, is, and to dispel these misconceptions, is that the smart city isn't necessarily a, a, you know, a stringent guidelines of this is what needs, what should be considered smart and this is what you should be doing. It's more of an individualistic effort within these cities to empower them um, at a local level and the people that are running the city and the people that are part of the city. Absolutely. Um, that's, I think that's interesting and a super important distinction. That being said, there is a framework. There mm-hmm. are certain 
important like uh, anchor projects which are almost you'll find them similar across the board for all cities that they're undertaking traffic and solid waste management being the most common ones um, and of course the public space design they're all kind of so they're divided basically into two categories to further help you understand it one is the ICT portion which entirely focuses on tech related initiatives mm-hmm. so a lot of cities have developed apps they're able to get better uh, citizen feedback about a lot of different things not just potholes and lights but also what do they want from a city what is what is a citizen what are the issues that the citizens are facing where are the problems happening geographically mm-hmm. what areas are you know creating most amount of engagement so the kind of data it's creating for the cities is is incredible and it's creating a lot more interaction between a person living in a city and the government which was not there before mm-hmm. at this level and on the other side is the abd which is the area based development mm-hmm. under which the each smart city is required to present a plan to redo the public spaces so these are large scale projects they are not what we are working on very directly mm-hmm. but these are very large scale uh, you know 1000 2000 crore plus budgeted projects okay which will happen over time which again they need funding for they need partners right. for So it is a complex project, and it's a very complex system uh, to navigate in terms of the finances. I feel that mostly. So I think it has taken time, but I, I'm still very optimistic and very hopeful, and very excited to see the kind of involvement people have with their park. Like if, if like I'm on site one day, it was so interesting for me to see. Like a lot of people will just come ask me, just you know, what is Smart City doing here? Mm-hmm. You know, what is a municipality doing there? Okay. which is really it's very encouraging to see yeah. people excited about where they live and you know how it's going to develop in the future. Now on that note and and to end things um what's something you would say that young people like us um you know the future generation the current generation um that will be living that will be uh, obviously providing and and stimulating the whether it's the economy the standard um the livelihood of these cities what can we do um uh, you know obviously there's what you're talking about the mechanisms to be excited to question but are there you know tangible things that we you know not as urbanist but as just citizens uh young citizens uh can productively contribute to this uh advancement and progression of very important for us to feel a sense of ownership of where we live mm-hmm. and as a result we will have opinions it's important to have opinions it's important to feel like okay i'm happy with this i'm not happy with this and it's important to voice them at the right mediums mm-hmm. to the government to your representatives to find out who it is that you can talk to and luckily with all of these mygov and all of these other apps and platforms in place there are a lot of ways for you to talk about what you want to do for example the dda is announcing its new master plan exercise which is the delhi development authority right. and they have created a very robust website to invite views from all the citizens on what they want from their city and it's important for us to keep participating when the government asks for opinions and they're trying to engage with us and to understand what we want mm-hmm. it's very important to keep the conversation alive and to discuss it further and to understand that infrastructure is not this vague a uh, distant term that politicians like to throw around during election season infrastructure is also very much your local market your local temple the street outside your house all of that matters and it's important to feel connected to these places in order to make changes in the future well on that note i think you know one thing that i've taken away is that uh from my own experience and people that i've spoken to when you say connect to your you know surroundings and settings um the difference that i would say is being brought up in the states um and most of these listeners would also agree is that they f- 
feel more invested in a way or there's a greater interaction within the city um, and then at the same time but there's still a larger connect uh, with the cities here or the places that we've been brought up with whether that's religious whether that's cultural historical etc I'm more connected and you know interested in the history of Delhi mm -hmm. right but I'm more you know I would say invested um, unconsciously um, subconsciously um, with let's say New York because it's, it just surrounds my, my livelihood it surrounds my daily life um, so that's super interesting to hear. Um, but thank you so much for coming on Swadeshi Videshi. Uh, I truly appreciate it and uh, hope we can uh, expect some better cities for the future. Yeah, that's the plan.